for half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I am John Jagay. I'm joined today by Jeffy Kay from the class of 2006. I'm not even going to try to pronounce your last name. Welcome, sir. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate you having me. It's Kazmarzik for those, you know, interested in the official pronunciation. But no, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on here. You know, first, Jag, I want to say you've been doing an awesome job with this series. A lot of great episodes, a lot of great stories getting unearthed, and especially the breadth of generations sharing their stories has been amazing to hear. And then I also want to say for the listeners, if you haven't listened to Jag's other podcast, Crazy Radio Stories, <laughs> I highly recommend checking out, I believe it's the third episode down with um, the Alicia Clark story, if you will. It is maybe the 10 greatest minutes of podcasting out there. So if you haven't listened to it yet, I highly recommend after you listen to this, go check that out. Your check is in the mail, sir. Excellent. Excellent. Let's start at the beginning, Jeffy K. Western Massachusetts, how do you get to Syracuse? Funny enough, I was thinking about this today too. You know, I grew up watching Brian Lapis as my local weatherman, which is yep. just bizarro in itself. And I fanboyed out on him a little bit at my first <laughs> banquet as a freshman. So yes, Western Mass uh, connection never fails. Um, but anyways, I knew I always wanted to do something within communications, media, in that realm, but really also combine my passions of really comedy and performance and music. So radio just seemed like a natural fit, right? You get the best of both worlds. And I was dead set, Jag, that I was going to Boston University in high school. Huh. Like it was BU or bust and you could not convince me otherwise at all. Go Terriers. I was this close to going to BU in the end. I was down to BU in Syracuse the same way. Okay. I was dead set that that's where I was going. And I took a visit to campus and when the only thing that I enjoyed about it, and this will become as a surprise to no one, that there was a Taco Bell in the bottom of a freshman residence hall. I was like, well, we really need to figure something else out. You know, I just did not see myself there. For those who don't know, and those who haven't been to the Boston University campus, your quote unquote campus is Commonwealth Ave in Boston and Fenway Park is next door, which is cool. But aside from that, you're just in the city. And look, Jag, you could take the T up to the Malden Valley Forum um, you know, if you really wanted to, because there's not enough Malden Mass references in this podcast. <laughs> You've listened to the Steve Donovan episode, haven't you? That's right. So I knew that wasn't going to be an option after I visited. And, you know, Syracuse was suggested to me. I really had no idea about the school, really, to begin with, um, to be honest with you. And, you know, went for the tour, fell in love. I famously remember my father saying, boy, we're going to be driving up, you know, I-90 quite a bit these next four years. <laughs> and then. We go to a accepted students day, my senior year of high school. And I remember Z was bumping in the dome during this lunch thing. And so I said, I better go check this out. Here's the wild thing, Jag. On that day, now knowing him and kind of his mannerisms, how he talks and his fashion sense, I am about 70% sure that I spoke to Brett Bossy on that day. <laughs> I, again, I can't confirm or deny it, but just now knowing him and remembering that day, it just fits the bill. And so I chatted with possibly bossy for about <laughs> five minutes 
um, just about the radio station. And, you know, I really found it something I wanted to do once I got to Syracuse. Fast forward to fall of that year. This is my literally my first week on campus. And as soon as I get done with all my, you know, here's your class schedule, meet with your advisor. I literally walked over to the radio station and just literally walked in the door and who was standing there, but none other than the wolf dog, Josh Wolf. <laughs> and I said, hey, I'm Jeff. I'm a freshman. You know, I would love to be a part of this station. Literally, what can I do? And, you know, of course, I got a, well, sir, you know, from Josh, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. He's like, hey, can you come in later this week to, you know, learn, a, do a board op shift? Okay. Yep. In that week, shadow a jock, do a board op shift. How'd it go? Oh, it went great. Okay. You want a Friday night, Saturday morning on air shift? Okay. And this is literally the first week of school. So, you know, you hear about people who were there from day one. Like I was literally there from day one of my freshman year. Was it the Saturday morning six to nine, Jeff, or was it earlier than that? I think it was the Friday night, Saturday morning, like two to four. Okay, got it. There was a mix show right beforehand. Okay. And I remember it was just like bumping in the studio, you know, to like reggaeton and, you know, some really uh, high energy dance music. And then I came on. So <laughs> just really softened the mood. Um, so yeah, did that for a semester and I really had my eyes set on the morning show. And so the next semester I got put on uh, a Z morning zoo, did that for a semester with a crew of guys. And then the next year, and then for the next three years, I did the morning show, got to be the morning show producer. My sophomore year was on the board then, then took a little break because I, I was involved with a lot of stuff on campus. So just did the zoo and, you know, active at the station junior year. And then senior year came back and uh, was zoo producer once again. So, you know, just really had a great run, you know, doing the morning show for those three years. It was fantastic. You've mentioned some of the people that were there when you first got to the station. Who were some of the people that you quickly connected with when you worked there during your four years there, Jeff? The funny part, Jag, is that the one staple I had in the morning show for those three years was a buddy of mine who ended up going to Syracuse from my hometown. He's now a professor of uh, natural sciences at the University of Minnesota. Wow. Yeah. And knows nothing about pop culture, music, radio, anything. So he was the perfect morning show companion to bounce stuff off of. It was sensational. You know, so it was me and him for three years amongst the rotating cast. You want to shout him out? Oh, yeah. His, his name's Andrew Havilis. He was Havilis on the air. Who knows if he'll ever listen to this, but, you know, if he's not busy digging his head in some cave somewhere. <laughs> But yeah, it was three years. Uh, it was me and him with a rotating cast of characters. You know, we had like, of course, the, the famous Def Jeff, of course, was, was running the show. And, and, you know, he's just a legend in and of himself. Yeah. And then, of course, you had TJ Basala, Kevin Rich, those guys. Ralphie was in the mix. You know, and of course, uh, let's not forget Dave McKinley, who was a great PD as well. Um, shout out to Dave. Yep. Who really had a good run of, you know, just good jock flow and operations. So it was just a great time to be at the station. Any significant moments or events from your time there in the station's history you can remember from that time, Jeff? I think the funniest thing for me is that, you know, I was always thinking of doing bits on the morning show. Sure. What kind of crazy shit, we can swear, right? Yes. What kind of crazy shit can we do and get away with? And that's going to be like appropriate. So I had this idea of let's play Orange Juice Pong one morning. <laughs> and we're going to run this tournament like, you know, you have 
professional play-by-play callers, you know, calling, literally calling the shots of me and Havilis and, you know, whoever else wanted to come in. And what's cool is, you know, you have news and sports guys that pop into your morning show. Right. And some are down to do bits. So I asked one of these guys, I said, hey, this is such a stupid idea, but we're going to do Orange Juice Pong. Would you be willing to do a play-by-play with this other guy (laughs) and literally call it shot for shot? Yeah, sure. That guy is Jason Benetti, who is now the on-air voice of the Chicago White Sox and also on Fox Sports and just has this esteemed broadcasting career in sports. One of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. But there is audio of this man in his early days calling me doing frustrated shots into Orange Juice Pong on Z89. It's just amazing to think of, you know, you hear of like when Michael Keaton, before he started, he was a PA on Mr. Rogers Neighborhood. (laughs) It's like that kind of caliber where this esteemed broadcaster was literally watching me get frustrated trying to land a ping pong ball and a cup of orange juice. It is so funny because... That is a through line, and you've heard a lot of episodes of the podcast, I know, Jeff, of the 50 years of this radio station of humble beginnings and walking in as a freshman or doing some crazy morning show, Z Morning Zoo stuff, and then going on to great heights in this industry. And I love hearing stories like that. You think about this as well, like Scott McFarlane. Sure. We live in the D.C. area, and before he came to CBS, like he was our local you know, news guy on the I-team. Mm-hmm. So here we are, like every morning as I'm getting my kids ready to school— here pops up Scott with the next I-team report, you know, about, oh, the speed cameras in Montgomery County, Maryland. And like, but it's Scotty, you know what I mean? My wife is still like starstruck by, you know, half the people in the association who are public facing and thinks it's so cool that, you know, this guy, you know, that guy. And to think that, again, Scott was on a billboard at a local metro station that I famously <laughs> like defamed him at Tyson's Corner. So sorry, Scott. Wait, how did you do that? They literally just had billboards up and I took a picture with him and Scott. And then I, you know, drew on it afterwards and we'll leave it at that. <laughs> you drew on the picture, not the actual billboard. Let me make, let me make that clear. Correct. Yes, correct. All right. You mentioned your wife, Marissa, and Marissa is one of like the top A-list JPZ spouses in our group. Oh, I appreciate that. There are some uh, spouses who come to the banquet once and they're like, okay, you know what? You hang out with your college buddies and and have fun. This this is not for me. There's a lot of personality in that room. There's a lot to it. And there are some who come, you know, once every few years or so. And then there are some who come and they're just instantly part of the group. And I feel that way about Marissa. She just took to the group. What was that like for her? I don't want to, you know, if you, as much as you can speak for her. Yeah, sure. No, and I, I appreciate that. And I, and I can tell you, Jag, honestly, that she loves the Z89 crew and always speaks very highly of several of the people that she knows personally and has met and just, you know, thinks very highly of. You know, again, like she didn't go to Syracuse. She has no affiliation with the school. She's a teacher. So not even any interest in the business or, you know, the networking aspect. Um, but, you know, she went to just see what it's like because clearly it's a part of my life and I've talked about it and mm-hmm. you know, everybody knows all the great connections that are made through Banquet. She's just been really happy to be supportive of that. I mean, again, sitting through the actual Banquet program may not be her favorite part. And <laughs> wait, why is this man rambling on about stations in North Carolina and what is this all about? We may not get that part, but it's, I remember too, there was one banquet that she was at where uh, Dion Summers was there. And here we go talking about Baltimore sports and Baltimore Ravens. 
But then she gets into, you know, like what Dion has done in his career. Yeah. And it's just so like blown away by like everything that that man has done. But, you know, to her, it's like, wow, like here's another Ravens fan or go O's. So it's funny. But again, you know, she fanboys out on Scotty. She fanboys out on other people in the organization. And again, thinks it's so cool that we have this whole network of, of cast of characters that are just doing really big things. She's in good company. I think I've mentioned this before in the podcast. Uh, I think the first time that I brought my wife, Ellen, to the banquet, uh, Scotty McFarlane was either keynoting or he was getting his Hall of Fame induction. I forget which. And she was like, wow, that guy is really impressive. Yeah. And then like she started talking to him. He's like the nicest, most down-to-earth guy on the planet. So it's certainly uh, a common thread. And Ellen's great, too. We love Ellen. It's WJPZ. At 50. Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives. Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence. This is WJPZ at 50. All right, we're going to come back to a lot of these relationships here in a moment, Jeff. But take me first through your career arc since Syracuse and some of the stuff you've done. Sure. So first, what I'll say is I think the really pivotal thing for me in my career arc was during my sophomore year, I had an internship at WXLO um, and many thanks to Peterman and Steve Dunneman. Yeah. And I want to make this very clear. I am extremely thankful for that opportunity and really enjoyed my time doing the internship at that station. But that was really the true moment where I realized I did not want to do radio as a full-time career. You're so much smarter than so many of us. Anyway, go ahead. But I think that's important because doing radio, you know, for a couple hours a week or at the station as a hobby is very different than doing it full-time as your professional career. That's your source of income, right? And for me... My other big passion, as you as you well know, is travel and just the global community. Yep. And so I kind of knew that doing local radio was probably not going to allow me to do that in some capacity. Mm-hmm. And then just, you know, at Z89, look, we know there's selector and rules and all these things. Jag, I can't tell you how many times I broke the rules at that station. <laughs> right? And. You can't get away with that necessarily in a professional radio environment. (laughs) And for a 20-year-old kid, right, that's a hard thing to grasp is that this is not what the professional world is going to be like once you get out in that. And I kind of realized that quickly. Mm -hmm. So I knew I needed to find another outlet for me that wasn't going to be radio-driven. And thankfully, I wasn't in Newhouse. I wasn't trying to be a broadcast journalism major you know, where I wanted to do news or sports. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had gone in with this morning show mentality and then it turned into, wow, you know, I like the creative aspects of that. Where can I apply that? So I really turned my attention to marketing and to the business side of things. And so I actually ended up going to grad school once I graduated at St. Joe's in Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. got a master's degree in international marketing. And that kind of opened the door for me to start at Travel Channel through another Syracuse connection, I started as the executive assistant to the chief marketing officer. Wow. And spent a good run there. What's wild to think about is at the time, this was when Facebook and Twitter 
were really starting kind of their quote unquote corporate presence. And so I really helped our agency launch these social media presences for a lot of our shows at the time. So when you think about it, again, now it's such a common part of any kind of marketing strategy. This was all new and cutting edge. And, you know, here's this young 20 something year old kid who understands the Facebook and the Twitter. <laughs> Late 2000s, right? Late 2000s. Yeah. It was awesome. And then, you know, as the cable industry goes, there's all kinds of shifts and changes. I get let go, but I now have this background working in entertainment. After that, again, through another Syracuse connection, I ended up getting a job at PBS Distribution mm -hmm. and spent eight years there really launching their digital distribution business for video. And again, it's wild to think about now, but this was when Netflix had just really started to amp up streaming mm -hmm. and iTunes and Amazon were, you know, kind of still the big players and, you know, buying content to own in that space. And, you know, ended up working there for eight years, launched some channels on Amazon um, Prime channels and really, you know, got PBS content out there in the digital distribution world. And again, it's all marketing. It's all content based. And then ended up finding this opportunity to AERP to help run their loyalty program, which is what I do now. And again, it's all content marketing, uh, definitely for a different audience and, and definitely an American organization. But again, learning the skills and analytics and kind of all the tools you need now as a marketer um, is something that I really enjoy. Um, don't get me wrong. I still love travel and I still love the global industry and always thinking about how I can work in that space. But also, Jag, you know, I have a family now, yep. you know, I have a mortgage now, so the, the flexibility may not be there as it once was, but that's okay. Let me come back to AARP in a minute. I'll put a pin in that and I'll use a awful corporate term there. But what are some of the shows that you worked on working at Travel Channel and at PBS? Because you've worked on some really big name shows. Yeah, absolutely. So um, one little show that I helped uh, work on was Man vs. Food way back in the day. Yes, the start of old Adam Richmond's career. And again, just, you know, thinking about how is this concept of here's a man just hammering down pounds and pounds of food in these challenges. <laughs> is that going to translate with audiences? But it comes back to content talent because he is so charismatic. He is so captivating. Like you wanted to watch him eat these massive amounts of food. And then also, again, really explore a lot of the places that he was going to. Do you have a favorite episode of Man vs. Food, Jeff? One that sticks out to you? Well, you know what? They actually shot one in Syracuse. Yeah. Of course, they did Dinosaur Barbecue. Um, but the challenge was at Mother's Cupboard, which was a great breakfast spot. You know, and he did the frittata, which is very local to the region. Actually, Jag, the other one I actually really like was Ann Arbor, Michigan. Okay. Because he had this huge nacho tower. I'm a huge nacho fan. And it was just amazing to see him take it down. So that show, it's so funny because that show has evolved so much over the years with the host and everything. But at the time, I mean, that was like the bee's knees of Travel Channel. Also in the era of Anthony Bourdain, RIP. Yeah. And Andrew Zimmern. So again, just like working with those shows and that talent was just an incredible opportunity. And then at PBS- I'm so glad you said bee's knees because if Josh Wolf is listening, we've brought it back to one of his favorite sayings. Anyway, PBS- well, fella, you're the bee's knees. Um, <laughs> so at PBS, you might have heard of a little show called Downton Abbey. Mm -hmm. And I like to make the joke that it pretty much paid for my wife's engagement ring. Yes. You know, it was just so popular. But again, at the time, 
the whole concept of streaming and all this stuff was so new. And I don't want to get into a conversation about complicated legal international <laughs> entertainment distribution rights. But, you know, it's that how people get the show they want to watch when they want to watch it and ha- what device and everything really it played an impact of getting that show on time to the consumers because it was so popular and it was so massive that we just had to be on the ball making sure that we had the episodes ready to go and on sale and um, the campaigns that we did around them was just massive. And it was a huge hit. I did an event towards the end of the run where I got to meet some of the cast members and interact with them, which was just, again, a cool experience and such a timestamp of pop culture at the time because it would, I mean, that show was everywhere. Yeah. It's just a thrill to work on that show. All right, so AARP, you've talked about all this digital stuff, all this cutting-edge stuff being right at the forefront when Twitter and Facebook came out. And AARP has the perception it's the American Association of Retired Persons. That's right. But you can be in it at age 50 now, and age 50 is not as old as it used to be. What are some of the misconceptions around what you do in the organization you work with? Yeah, absolutely. I think one is that, especially for the program that I would specifically work on within AARP, is that anybody can join the program and be a member. What is the program? So it's AARP Rewards. Mm -hmm. It's pretty much AARP's loyalty program that, again, makes you interact with their content in the idea of like preparing you for life's events as you get older. Okay. But the thing is, you can use this information at any point in your life. So I'm in my late 30s, and I've learned things about retirement funds and just healthy eating stuff that you may not think about at your age But it's really useful information for, you know, again, people even younger than 50. And again, I think what the organization is trying to do now is really think about the future and just get younger audiences invested in AARP for when the time comes, when they hit that age or they really need more of the information, they understand the value, they understand what the organization does and how they can advocate as you get older. You know, it's interesting. AARP is doing something better than radio and that radio's demographic is aging and not to be crass about it, but eventually dying off and radio needs to bring in more young people. It sounds like there's a parallel there between what you're doing in your day to day. Yeah. And I mean, I think what's also interesting about AARP in general is most people, when they think of the organization, they think about Medicare and Social Security. Sure. Like that's what it is. And there is so much more than that. Again, from financial planning to you know, healthy eating, even just making social connections as you age, because it does get different, especially, you know, as you get older, Yeah, you know, and your life changes, keeping up with those relationships is totally different. So I think the AARP just tries to attract that younger audience. Again, you may not use it now, but you will later on. And that's kind of been their big strategy. And I'll also say, without mentioning any specific names, I am the person who does get texts from, you know, members of this group when they hit kind of that 50-year mark and say, why the hell am I getting this mail? And why am I getting this offer for AARP membership? And I'm like, we know, we know. We don't have to mention Friedman by name. Oh, absolutely. But that actually segues into the next thing I was going to ask you, Jaffe, which is you have such, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You have such a big personality. And I mean that as a compliment. And even in this group, and that you're so much fun to talk to, and you get passionate about so many different things. Mm -hmm. And the interplay with so many of our other alumni that I've witnessed, whether it's you and Friedman, or it's you and TJ Basala, I was at Friedman's house for dinner one night, and I brought a Michigan salad. And Friedman looks at me, he's like, 
you've got to send a picture of this to Jeffy K. And I'm like, why? Yeah. You want to give the backstory on that? Oh, God. Basically, the bottom line is TJ Basal is an asshole. <laughs> and he just tries to ruin my life at various points. And there's nothing that gets TJ Basala off more than pissing me off. Agreed. So if there's something that he knows that I hate or find annoying or TJ, why are you like, why are you posting about this? Why are you talking about this? He knows that sets off a nerve and he will just run that into the ground. So, I mean, that's our relationship, Jag, you know, like we're, we're the best of enemies, the best of friends. I don't know what you want to call it. Somehow it works. It's wild. It's bizarre, but you love it. So do I have the story right? Like when he was doing some work in Michigan, he got a Michigan salad and he just like got one every single day and partly just to tweak you? Pretty much. So yeah, he was doing work in Michigan and every day that he was there, he would on his lunch be like, it's Michigan cherry salad time. And, you know, just post a picture of this. It's a fucking cherry salad, right? (laughs) It's literally a salad with cherries on it. I'm sure it tastes great. It does. I'm sure the cherries are fresh and delicious, but Jag, it's literally a cherry salad. I'm like, why are you posting this all the time? And the rest is history because then it just becomes a thing of, oh, we got a Michigan cherry salad, buddy. Like there's the Instagram story. There's the Snapchat. Like, oh God, like enough. And Jag, now it's darts, right? So now I get the darts news. Okay, so let me stop you there, because if you know TJ, TJ gets very into certain things. When he's into something, he's 100% all the way in. 125%. And he loves darts. He's a big sports fan, as we all know. And he was, like, religiously following this professional dart league. Yep. By the way, his wife Karen says, you guys didn't warn me about this. And we said we tried. And so... You took issue with him being so obsessed with this dart league in the typical TJ way. Yep. And what did he do to tweak you with that? Oh, well, you know, my birthday last year, I just get a text message on my phone from this. I I don't don't know the guy's name, but basically he's the equivalent of the let's get ready to rumble guy, but for darts, right? (laughs) He is that man. And so I opened up my phone and I get this. Jeffrey K, it's so-and-so from the Darts League. Happy birthday. I'm like, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? And I'm like, <laughs> this poor man, like, recorded a very, a very nice, honestly, birthday message for me, knowing that all this is is just a way for a buddy of mine to absolutely piss me off and get under my skin. And again, that's the relationship that we have, Jag. And it's probably like the only relationship like that within this entire alumni association. Which is why I wanted to highlight it in this episode, because TJ is very eccentric. And I say that, of course, with love and all these things that he does that you tell him you take it. And why you still tell him, I don't know. But he just gives him more ammunition to just keep needling you. Oh, absolutely. But that's what it is, you know. And of course, you know, this is going to come out, you know, in a podcast episode. But again, it's he just finds these little ticks, right? And he'll he'll know when the tick gets off and takes that and runs. But let's be fair, Jag. You know, there's a whole other side to the relationship. And let's just say, you know, I just take it to the max, right? So how have you gotten him back? So I'm not going to go into the whole story about the max, but let's just say the max is something that he hates and is an inside joke. But remember that term to the max. So there is a Swedish burger chain called Max Burger, okay? (laughs) 
And so a buddy of mine who also knows TJ and knows this bizarro relationship, he's in Sweden (laughs) and he says, hey, I found all these little packets of salt and pepper that say Max on them. (laughs) He, He comes back and he brings all these packets of salt and pepper with Max. And I'm like, oh my God, this is incredible. (laughs) I'm like, I can't just bond them all at once. So, you know, him and Karen move to a new house. We'll send a housewarming card. (laughs) I'll stick a packet in there. One year on a holiday card, I stuck a packet to the back. Um, At his bachelor party, you know, I (laughs) snuck one underneath this, you know, and you just keep these little Max packets popping up. And again, it's just fantastic because as mad as I get for his shit, he gets as mad for mine. So, th- I mean, that's our relationship. I mean, there's a great photo from his wedding where the cameraman said, just do whatever you want. Yeah. I took a bouquet of flowers and I just smacked him across the head. <laughs> that is captured in the photo. And if there's any sign of our relationship, like that is it right there. You mentioned bachelor parties. I won't even mention yours in New Orleans, which was probably the latest I ever stayed on a Bourbon Street. I hope that horse is okay, right? Let's let's leave it at that. <laughs> we'll leave it there. Yeah. But as we start to wrap up, Jeff, it really speaks to the relationships of the alumni of this radio station and what a family we are. If you're not needling TJ, your classmate back and forth, you and Friedman are going back and forth about Gen X versus Millennial. Oh, God. Absolutely. Or brunch and avocado toast, or you name it. Like, mm-hmm. this is such an incredible organization. Can you speak to just what you've gotten out of it out of the 15 or so years since you graduated? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the unique thing, Jag, about where I sit kind of in the timeline, if you will, is that, and kind of like yourself a little bit, we're kind of like right in the middle yes. of that early 2000s, right? You know, mid 2000s era. And what's amazing is as much as I have good relationships with the people like Friedman and Velarde and Steve Donovan, you know, kind of on that, you know, 90s at Mary Mancini. Yeah. Fun, quick shout out there. Like I went to my only DC political campaign event when Mary Mancini was in town one year. Nice. I felt so out of place because I am like, I am the only non-political person in this room nor am I a Tennessee voter, nor do I have anything to do with this at all. But I love Mary, so I'll go. Absolutely. So, that, I mean, that's what we do. So there's that. But just as much as, you know, you have those relationships on that end, you know, there's people like Jeff Kirkjian and Ava Zamaris and Corey Crockett, you know, from that kind of other end of the spectrum, who, again, much younger, have good relationships. But again, I'm kind of like that older figure you know, who's been through stuff where, you know, they can just connect with. I mean, Ava, a great example, she ended up getting a job in the Western Mass market. So as soon as she did, she kind of became this honorary, you know, Western Mass alum, if you will. And we would go back and forth about, oh my God, Ava, the White Hut is going to close and somebody's (laughs) going to buy out the hut, right? And like real-time news from Springfield through Ava. And she's fantastic. You know, I helped her out with something for her wedding. I mean, you know, stuff like that is just great. And Again, you know, the power and impact of this organization is just so huge because it doesn't matter if it's networking or just personal advice or career advice or a food recommendation, you know, half the time, you know, there's just so many people to reach out to. Like, here's a great example. Our mutual friend, Matt Del Signor, Mm -hmm. living in D.C. for a while. And I think, you know, like him and I became, you know, closer as friends just from, you know, living here and, you know, being able to 
another all-star wife, Cindy, you know, yep. meeting her and, you know, now they're kids and stuff. And, you know, we go back and forth all the time about what Mayor Bow Wow Wow is up to <laughs> here in D.C. because you just have that connection. But also when there's great jams, like who's the first person that you think of is Matt Del Signor. Oh, yeah. He just knows and he, he knows what's up. So um, it's like awesome to have those relationships. I'll give you this fun little story, too, going back to Scotty McFarlane. This was February of last year, you know, and you mentioned my wife, Marissa. We kind of have become this like young family contact for Scott McFarlane. Okay. If he ever needs like a news piece with kids that are, you know, like in the younger age range, like we have become this go-to for Scott. So during COVID, he reached out because he was producing a kid's news show about, you know, like quarantining at home, like for kids. Mm -hmm. And so- You know, my kids and Marissa were featured on this program about like life with siblings in quarantine, right? So last year, I get a phone call around, this is like February, and it's Scotty. So I pick up the phone. I'm like, to what do I owe this honor? (laughs) And so he goes, hey, um, would Marissa be willing to speak on camera about inflation and kind of how it impacts families and, you know, how... Um, you know, the cost of goods is kind of affecting people with like young kids. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'll ask her, no problem. And I will never forget this. He goes, just let her know she might get bumped because if Putin ends up attacking Ukraine, then the story's off. Jeez. Oh, and later that day, sure enough. <laughs> so uh, needless to say, that story never ran. Well, I'll bring it full circle. When I started reaching out to folks to do this podcast, the first person that said yes immediately, same day, was Scott McFarlane. Yeah. And he said to me, I'm not going to get the exact words right, but it was something to the effect of, it was right after the hurricane had hit Naples in Florida. He goes, hey, uh, listen, so I'm actually at uh, CBS today. I'm the backup anchor in case we lose our connection to Florida yeah. with all the storm stuff. Yeah. So I'm not really doing anything uh, yeah. unless we lose our connection to Florida. So I can hop on to it. And he was the first interview that I did. Yeah. So yeah, that's just the kind of guy Scott is. Unbelievable. Last question for you. You've mentioned your uh, Western Massachusetts roots a couple of times. Oh, yeah. Is it true that you are the heir to the Friendly's Ice Cream Fortune? You know, um, unfortunately, my mother got cut from Friendly's uh, a few years ago. She spent 41 years there, incredibly, and had a really good run there. And I will say it is a touchy subject within the Kismarzik household about Friendly's Ice Cream, but I cannot deny that Jubilee roll and the peppermint stick ice cream are just two of the best treats out there. What about a watermelon roll? I do love watermelon roll. To bring it full circle, I would say Friendly's did have a part in paying for my education at Syracuse University. There you go. Well, and if it makes your mom feel better, you can tell her this story, which is that um, my best friend growing up switched schools after first grade and we lost touch. Okay. And my mom later on just worked part-time at Friendly's about six years later. Oh, nice. And his parents walked in and after six years we reconnected and have been thick as thieves ever since seventh grade thanks to my mom picking up a part-time job waitressing at friendlies all over a conehead sunday and on theme day they needed to change their name tags to be something related to the menu so my mom was patty melt (laughs) that's fantastic that is fantastic i mean Ugh, friendlies. What a Western Mass institution, if there ever was one, other than Brian Lapis, of course. Jeffy K, we'll leave it there. I could go with you and joke back and forth all day. Thanks for taking some time from the class of 2006. Always a pleasure, my friend. Jag, thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. 
The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now.